0: Hi, I'm David Green. Happy New Year. And as we look forward to 2023, welcome to a very special episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. For those who have been following this podcast since we started in 2019, you'll know that every year we like to kick things off with a discussion between me and Ian Bailey, Board Advisor at Insight 222, and Senior Vice President for People Operations at Crypto.com on the top HR trends to watch out for in the coming months. There is a 2023 edition of the 12 HR trends for 2023 on LinkedIn but this year and for this inaugural episode of 2023 we're going to switch it up a little as this time it's not just me and Ian but we're also joined by the wonderful Diane Gerson, former Chief Human Resources Officer at IBM and now Senior Lecturer at Harvard Business School and the father of modern HR himself, Dave Orrick professor at the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and co-founder of RBL Group. Together we'll be talking about some of the biggest shifts and trends we are likely to see in the field of HR and what HR professionals need to do in order to adapt and succeed in this new world. And with Ian as our host and Diane, Dave and myself coming together with some different perspectives and experience, this is sure to be a very interesting and thought-provoking discussion. In Diane's words this is the moment for HR and people analytics. This generation of HR leaders has been appointed by history to define the workplace of the post-industrial era. Hopefully that's whetted your appetite. So without further ado, let's hand it over to Ian to kick off the conversation. Enjoy.
1: First of all, David, I'd like to come to you and revisit some of your predictions from last year. Now, the good news is you did pretty well. Uh, Many of those predictions have come true, uh, such as the move to hybrid working, the rise of investment in in work tech and an increase in the impact and the the business value of, of people data. So, David, what are your thoughts when you look back at your predictions from last year?
0: Well even though you were very kind Ian I still think if Nostradamus was still alive he wouldn't be quaking in his boots but on a serious note I guess trying to predict the future is always difficult particularly in the 2020s which uh, where the only certainty seems to be lots of uncertainty you know last year when we when I sat down uh, in October November couldn't have predicted the war in Ukraine couldn't have predicted high inflation, energy crisis, and and potentially a global recession now as well. So I've got my excuses in, but to answer your question, I think yeah, I think as you said, actually not too bad. I think a number of these trends have actually, uh, or predictions have been playing out over a number of years. You mentioned the the people analytics uh, one. Uh, which was about people analytics being about the business, something I know Diane and uh, and Dave would both agree with. We've seen that with with the research that we've been doing at Insight 222 over the years, that the importance and the influence of people analytics on the C-suite to make decisions is increasing all the time. Probably still not where we want it to be, but it is, is, is improving. And the best people analytics teams are solving business challenges and actually delivering outcomes for the business, but also for the employees as well. So there's probably a couple on there that you know are still in the early stage. I think one of them was you know about HR taking the lead in sustainability. I think we're still quite some way from from that happening in in pretty much all companies. And I think partly that's why I tried to take a different approach this year and invited others with far more expertise and knowledge than me to contribute if if they wanted to 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 uh, you know to the 2023 trends. Had um, a great response, you know, CHROs, Dave, Diane, obviously, but yeah, people like John Boudreau as well. So, really good selection, which then made it as much of a curation, perhaps, as as a prediction. So, uh, but yeah, it's an exciting time, I guess, for HR, but probably also a challenging one as well.
1: Yeah, and it does feel as though a few of the trends that that we did see finally land in twenty twenty two were ones. That we've kind of seen building for a while. If we come to you now, Diane, why do you think 2022 was the year for some of these areas to, to finally gain traction?
2: Well, yeah, as you say, I mean, some of them have been gathering steam for quite a while, right? And I think the unfreezing event of the pandemic and the beginnings of realizing that we could refreeze in a different way has has enabled it to accelerate. But you know, we're still not there. I mean, all trends are more than a year, right? They're maybe five year trends. And and we saw business models changing, you know, companies being disrupted, they're being digitized. All that happened, you know, before the pandemic. And I think that the really the new the new piece that David really picked up on in his in his predictions last year is that the piece about the people and having some agency around the kind of work that they want to do and how and when they want to do it has really the corners on the on on this right, I mean, it, all the other changes were happening, but the that piece was missing before the pandemic. And so, you know, it's really a combination of trends that had been going on for a while, and then that newer one that happened. And I think now today, you know, we're facing a situation where there is a shortage of skills, and particularly in some industries and in healthcare, in particular caregiving. And so their agency is that much stronger in terms of being able to define the kind of work they want to do and how and when. And so I think we're starting to see it happen a little more quickly in some industries than others.
1: And as David mentioned, I think there's just been so much that has gone on this year that maybe we couldn't have predicted. There's been a lot of uncertainty going on in the world. We've been through a global pandemic where HR really came to the forefront to help Organisations kind of navigate through that uncertainty, but now that hopefully we're seeing that pandemic receding, we're still seeing a lot that companies are, are dealing with. As, as David said, there's a lot of forecasts coming out uh, from economists at the moment around whether we're on the brink of a recession in many countries. We saw that there was the the war in Ukraine that, that continues. We're seeing rising inflation, a cost of living crisis, significant layoffs going on across many companies as well. And so with all of this going on, this role of HR is, is arguably more important than ever. And so if we come to you now, Dave, like how do you think HR can continue to play this, this pivotal role and help to create some certainty for employees and, and leaders in a world where we're just seeing so much uncertainty?
3: You know, I love the discussion so far. If I could put a capstone on it, context is the kingdom. And the context is changing in ways we don't know that's technology it's energy it's inflation it's it's all those things that are changing content then becomes the kingdom or the action that we have to manage or the king that we have to manage or the queen i think david said it beautifully the only thing we're certain about is uncertainty i'm going to put an addendum to that in a world of uncertainty don't chase the uncertainty focus on certainty And so what I love to say to folks is, what are we in this unchanging and uncertain world certain about in HR? And let me hypothesize a few things. We are certain that the way we manage our people makes a difference. We just talked about some of the trends, the skilling trends, the employee primacy trends, the people agency trends. We're certain that if we manage those things, we will make a difference. We're also certain that if we build the right organization, not just the human capital, that's the people, but the organizational capability. If we build a sustainable organization, ERG, if we build an agile organization, an innovative organization, if we build the right culture, we'll succeed. And we're also certain that if we manage leadership, we'll be more effective. So my sense is in HR, one of the trends in the future is how do we focus on certainty in the face of uncertainty? And when we can focus on what we know around talent, organization, and leadership, no matter what happens, I can't predict next year. Who could have predicted the Ukrainian war, the energy crisis, the technology innovation, but I can predict and control to some extent the certainty of what human capability provides.
2: Can I just pick up on the comment about layoffs? Because you did mention that, Ian, and I, I do think that's foremost on a lot of HR people's minds. And I think it's a bit of a relic of an old business model. And I think it is up to HR to help rethink what the new one is, right? I think layoffs were a function of when human capital was really viewed as headcount and not skills. And companies were optimizing for efficiency rather than, for example, flexibility or adaptability as Dave has just talked about. But they haven't really, the finance systems haven't really caught up with that yet. And HR tends to be sort of the subservient to the the finance function in that respect. And I do think that the rise of opportunity marketplaces in particular, and managing based on skills, we saw it happen in the recession, I mean, in the pandemic, right, where people were being redeployed because they were not, you know, there was no job for them during the pandemic and they were being redeployed into new areas because they had the skills to do those things. I mean, of course, in some cases, the reason that companies are cutting back is they simply cannot afford those people. But in today's world where there's so much, there's so much turnover, you know, you have to imagine that you can have a sustainable model where you have more of a project-based organization not a job-based organization that's based on skills, not headcount. And then the prospect of a layoff becomes sort of obsolete. Now, I do agree it has to sort of depend on some level of turnover, because if you don't have that and you can't afford all the headcount, then you are going to need to do something. But I think it's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction right now based on the old model. And we've already moved in so many ways to the new model.
1: A lot of companies are thinking about how to move to this skills-based approach. As you say, I think the pandemic kind of forced their hand a little bit and, and helped kind of accelerate that, which which I think is a good thing. What advice would you have for companies that are considering moving towards that approach?
2: Well, look, I mean, a skills-based model is founded in a, a concept that people have to continuously learn and that skills, you know, become irrelevant over time, right? So, So that's the first thing. And so it it has to be anchored in a learning culture. So it does require constant learning. And so it has to start at the top with role modeling from the top around learning. And then, of course, the whole wraparound services of personalized learning for for the employees. But to the skills piece, then you need to take all of your HR systems and replumb them to skills as opposed to the other things that you might have plumbed them around before, like maybe headcount. So, for example, you might set goals around skills. Managers have goals around the skills of their people, you know, that they have to grow these new skills. Their performance is based on the skills um, improvement of their people, right? And the relevancy of the skills on their teams, not just the individuals themselves. And so, you know, you're built, you baked it therefore, into your performance management system. Then your, your pay, you know, you'd only pay for skills that are relevant to your future, you might not give an increase to people who don't have those skills. And so, again, you're building it into the reinforcement system, your recognition system. You've got to have, you know, obviously celebration. And and so many companies now have, you know, certification and badging and people put it on their LinkedIn profiles and so forth if they've acquired a badge in this new area, coaching or whatever. And then, you know, back to managers, managers need to develop those skills too. And so their, you know, their skill base needs to continue to improve. So so having a handle on what skills people have, what they need, what, what the gap is and how do they close it, and then to have all of your HR systems really reinforcing that. And then the plum, of course, on the pudding is, of course, that they get to be able to take new jobs and new roles when their skills get to this new place, right? So they're offered jobs just like, they might be from some other company. Internally, the company says, "Oh, Ian, you know, you've now gotten to this new level in data science. Did you know these five jobs are open and you're qualified?" So, um, so it's a continuous improvement in skills. But as I said, the the, the currency is skills for for everything. Dave, I, I'd
1: love to kind of hear from you around. Do you see this shift to skills as something that all companies you know are going to be able to to kind of achieve? Uh, and, and should they, or this, or is it at risk of just being another one of those HR trends that we love to get obsessed with, and it will get replaced by by something else in the future? You know, how do companies think about this balance between skills and jobs?
3: You know, I, as you said so brilliantly, and I don't think this is new. We've talked about skills and competencies for generations. Where I think it changes, and I think it becomes critical, is it's not just about the skill; it's about the tasks to be done. And so in HR, we've done a lot of what's called workforce planning, full-time, part-time, agile work. Now what I think we start with is, what is it we're trying to do to succeed in the marketplace? What does my company have to do to succeed in an uncertain market? What do we have to be certain about? Then to say, what are the tasks that need to be done? And the beauty of focusing on work tasks, not work skills or workforce, is a lot of those tasks will be done through technology. A task could be done by a full-time employee, a part-time employee, a contractor, which we've seen, but a task could also be done by AI, by technology, and I think Ian will see more of that, which again goes back to Diane's brilliant point, is that if you're an employee, you better learn the skills to accomplish the task that the market will require, because if you don't have the skills to do what the market expects of you, you're not going to be able to be a successful employee.
1: David, I I know you spend all day every day talking to practitioners who are dealing with challenges like this you know what are you hearing from from those folks that you're speaking to how are people tackling this you know what what are some of the things that they're thinking about to to be successful in this
0: well it's definitely we're seeing more and more companies shifting towards a focus on skills and actually, it's really interesting. This series of the podcast is, is focusing primarily on this topic. This is the first episode of five. And obviously, we've, we're delving into other topics as well. Uh, so I've been recording a lot of these recently. And, and for instance, next week's episode is with Sue Cantrell and Michael Griffiths of, of Deloitte. They've been doing a lot of research around the skills-based organization. And I think, as both Diane and Dave have said, that this is a significant shift and potentially changes the way we, we think about and, and, and how we deliver HR. You know, you talked about there, the thread that links all those HR programs together that we've delivered for over 140 years. I think Ravin Jesu Uthazen and then John Boudreau, they published that, that great book, Work Without Jobs. And, and you know, I spoke with Ravin, we did, we did an article together a couple of months ago and he talked about, you know, we've got 140 years of learned behavior to, to, to potentially look at but what's what's really interesting with the deloitte research is that is they showed they actually did a survey across a number of different organizations and they showed they looked at workforce planning and learning and and performance and comp and they looked at you know where are companies today on this and none of those h r programs scored over sort of twenty percent in terms of companies that were primarily looking at the skills based approach today, but ninety percent of the organizations that participated said they are intending to move towards this this skills based approach so I think you're right. It's going to be something that's going to play out over, over over a while. And Diane, to your point about the redeployment, we saw that with Unilever in a previous episode when they talked about how they redeployed people from a part of the business that was very quiet because of COVID to a part of the business that was suddenly more busy because of COVID. So it does give that flexibility to do that. And I think what this can potentially do for companies, though, is, is it's good for employees. Um, because it help, hopefully helps them develop their careers and, and, and gives them purpose, maybe puts the S in the ESG bit as well, potentially. But Standard Chartered, actually, they they mentioned that they were able to unlock productivity of, of over $2 million in, from a pilot um, opportunity marketplace they ran in India. So if, we, if we're sitting here in five years talking about the trends for 2028, I think we'll be talking about it again.
1: And Diane, just one final question on this topic of skills. Like when you think about what enabled you to be successful with it at IBM? Was it because it was driven from the senior leadership, you know, from the business angle, or was it that you were driving it from an employee angle, or or maybe both? I'm just interested to know kind of where the catalyst uh, for it came from.
2: Yeah, it was, I mean, definitely from a business perspective. I mean, we were changing our portfolio 50% in three years. And um, so that did require a, a new set of skills uh, for our employees. And I think the role modeling from the top was really important. I mean, you know, from the very top, we were all talking about oh, that cloud course was so tough, you know, that third module, Oof, you know, and people realized, OK, you know, it's not just us that's being asked to do this. It's it's everybody. And I think that made it a sense of we're not doing it to you. We're all in this together. And that was, I think, a really important message. In today's
0: world of work, there is no new normal with everything from where we work to what we need to work on constantly changing. It can be impossible to figure out how to retain, develop, deploy, and adapt your workforce. So where do you go to get the answers? Probably not your HCM or another static database. You need real-time, meaningful data and a way to act fast. That's where Gloat comes in. Gloat's workforce agility platform bridges the gap between getting the information you need to make decisions and taking action. You get workforce intelligence to help you adapt and evolve your workforce while unlocking the potential of your employees with a talent marketplace. Sound too good to be true? Gloat is working at scale with the world's leading employer brands like HSBC, Novartis, and Nestle to help them cut costs, drive productivity increases, increase innovation and speed to market, and to design a future-fit workforce. Find out how at gloat.com. That's G-L-O-A-T dot com.
1: If we think about some of the other predictions that, that David had put together for 2023... There's one that is is there that was also very prevalent in in 2022 and and that's around this topic of, of hybrid working again, another one I think we're going to be talking about for for quite some time. We have this interesting situation where there's a lot of feedback from employees saying they feel they're more productive when working from home they like this flexibility that they have, but we're also seeing this increasing trend of a lot of business leaders that have the opposite view and, and they're now starting to try to, to bring everyone back to the office, sometimes successfully, sometimes sometimes not. And so I'm wondering, are we seeing this bigger disconnect between what workers want and what the business leaders want? And how does HR fit in the middle of this? Diane, we'd love to come to you first on this one. What What do you see HR's role to be in all of this?
2: I think... We tend to think about employees as one set of people. And I agree, you know, there's now a new license for self-care. People are more likely to say, I want to build my, you know, my, my, my work around the life I want to lead as opposed to the other way around. I mean, there's, you know, some definitely some shift that's happened. But I, I would say that there are people who are in different chapters of their career. You know, and some people are willing to go for a hustle culture, and there are others who are in the work not necessarily for the money, but for the career, right? And maybe, maybe that is a different. They're not as interested in the hustle culture, and they they won't go for a company that is now requiring that, which maybe they they belong to that hustle culture before, but they're backing away from it. And companies have to figure out what are they attracting? You know, what what model are they attracting? So. There's room for much more homogeneity. We just have to do a better job matching what people want with what the business requires, one. And two, in some cases, the business requirements need to change because they're not necessarily requirements. They're just what people are used to, okay? So I would say those are the two things that I see going on. Dave, I'd love to kind of hear from you around
1: where do you feel, do you feel like HR is ready to help the business in this
3: concept of trying to understand what people need let me go back to diane's comment first i think what we're seeing in the world today because of that uncertainty what are we certain about is the navigation of paradox the paradoxes are going to be inherent long-term short-term top down bottom up full-time employed task versus non-employed i think in the navigation of paradox we have to have both competition and caring and how do you navigate the tension between those two We have to have workers who work full-time and work part-time, who work in an office and not an office. I believe in navigating paradox, you begin to look for common ground. What are we certain about? I'm gonna be contrarian. I think hybrid work should not be about where you work and how you work. To me, those are secondary questions. The real questions are what are you working on and why are you working? And I think it matters less where you're working. Am I in an office? Am I at home and I'm a coffee shop? Why am I working? And I think the emerging answer, and I'd actually be a little challenging of us, we haven't mentioned the marketplace, we haven't mentioned customers. If a company doesn't succeed in the marketplace, there is no workplace. And again, I believe that so strongly that I think one of the trends in HR, and now it's gonna get into the disclosure data. We have a whole list of things we could do. David identified trends and people have added, there's probably six lists I've seen of all the trends of the future. DEI, people, personalization, reskilling. For me, the question is, where do I focus scarce resources? How do I decide where in that list of great opportunities should I focus? And the common answer is do a survey, go ask 10 people, or listen to David Green's ideas and then go do what David said. (laughs) By the way, that's risky. Very risky. I think the answer to that question is, what will help us succeed in the marketplace? And the marketplace could be a customer, could be an investor, could be a community. That's the issue of disclosures. Right now, companies are being asked to disclose to the investment community, to the customer marketplace, to the social community, what are we doing? What they're doing is disclosing politically appropriate things. How many people had days of training? How many people wore masks? How many people had safety? The question we should be disclosing on is, what will create value for all investors? for all customers, for all communities. And for me, that's a holy grail or the, 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 the gold at the end of the rainbow. It feels like Sisyphus climbing up a mountain. But for me, one of the issues is I look at an HR person listening to this is there are 10 trends there. We actually came up with 63 in one of our lists. Here's 63 initiatives for the future. Where do I focus? And how do I decide where I focus? And it's not just because some other company did a good job. What will help my company do our job better? And that's the initiative we prioritize and the disclosures we should be doing. Final caveat on that, and I've gone too long. The answer to that generally is you copy somebody else. You do a best practice that you hear about. You do a survey, you interview 10 people and they tell you what they think. What we're now finding is we can use AI data and scrape what companies disclose. We just scraped the data from 5,700, actually 7,000 Securities Exchange Commission reports in the United States. We could scrape anything. Using artificial intelligence, we can now tell the company what they are disclosing that they're focused on. And using good statistics, we can show which of those foci initiatives have impact on outcomes they care about. So we're beginning to turn this from an art form with survey bias and a whole lot of biases observation bias into a bit more of a science. Now, we're at the very beginning of that journey.
2: You know, David, you said something about, we forgot to talk about the the market, and it's such a great point. One of the things that has really struck me that I think we all need to really think about is we're customers, but we're also employees. And as customers, we demand so much of the companies we work with, right? You know, we want things to be on time. We don't have to wait for things, you know, all of that, right? And, and look at how waiters and waitresses were were treated during, you know, in the restaurants and how they left in droves. Look at how the healthcare workers were treated in the hospitals and how they left in droves. So we've got, on the one hand, we're talking about, you know, hey, you've got to make life better for these guys. On the other hand, if we don't become less relentless about our demands as customers, we're going to have a problem. So I think part of it is on us as customers to change our expectations if we want the world of work to be more humane.
1: David, when when you think about all of the different ways that people have started to gather intelligence from the employee base and start to tailor initiatives, you know, what are some of the ways that that you're seeing companies really kind of pick up on some of the things that, that Diane and, and Dave have mentioned?
0: It's are right. Employee listening's really stepped up, you know, in the last few years. You know, companies like IBM, you know, when Diane was there, were already doing this, at, you know, on a continuous basis. Microsoft's another example of a company that's been doing that. But I think increasingly companies are moving away from just doing that once a year survey to to look at getting feedback from from employees on a on a regular basis some as much as doing it daily like they are at Microsoft to a, to a sample of, of of people there, but also looking at other data, looking at some of the other data that you, you've got, looking at some of our collaboration data to understand how often are people collaborating, how, how much time are people spending in meetings, does a lack of focus time, for example, does that correlate with people saying that they feel less productive and, and, and less comfortable about their work-life balance as it has in some organisations that have published around that? The underlying thing I think between all of this is we need to have um, and I quote such an Adela on this. You know, we need less dogma and more data. So that whole question around hybrid is less about, as Dave said, it's about where, less about where people are working on a Tuesday, and it's it's more about answering questions like when does in person matter, you know, for what and who, why are we more or less productive or, or innovative or agile when we're working remotely or from the office, and what's the impact on customers, stakeholders, and if companies are going to be, you know, if if we have a a flexible policy, how does that help us retain and attract the best talent to our organization, which enables us to deliver the outcomes that we want to deliver to our customers? You know, those are the sorts of questions that we need to be looking at rather than, unfortunately, a lot of CEOs saying, I want people in the office four days a week because I need to see them. They're not productive if they're not
3: in front of me. David and Diane, if you had 100 units to invest, in human capability, talent, organization leadership, where would you invest it next year?
2: Yeah, it depends on the strategy, right? It depends on what the business requirements are.
3: Nice. Thank you. Thank you. And how can you determine that? I mean, how do I know where to focus? I'm an investor. Do I do Bitcoin? By the way, not now. How do I as as a thought leader help an HR person figure out where should I and maybe it's skills, maybe it's culture, maybe it's agility, maybe it's innovation. That's a question we've been struggling with in in a real way. So I'd love your counsel on that.
0: I think that's where the data comes in, isn't it? I mean, I mean, when we were talking about skills, Diane said that, you know, IBM invested in that because they were changing 50% of the portfolio in three years. So they knew that, I presume, Diane, you'd identify there was a gap between the skills that you had and the skills that you needed. And you wanted to close that gap over those that three-year period. And I think it's, what do I do? Okay. What are the most important priorities for the business? And what are the, what are the people elements that are most likely to affect that? And that that's focus in those areas. And I guess that's going to be different for different companies, which is why, as you said, Dave, be very careful about following the shiny objects. And, and because company X has done this, it doesn't mean that it's going to be relevant for my organization.
3: You know, we, t- we teach a course at the university and at the end of the two weeks, people have a plan and somebody says, I'm going to go back and build a leadership agenda, a culture agenda, a DEI agenda. And in the last course I said, we have failed you. Because when you and HR walk into a business meeting, I don't think you start with that agenda. I think you start, Diane, I'm gonna push a little bit, not just with the business strategy, I'd go beyond it. I think strategy is a mirror. I'd look at that as a window. Who are our customers? What do they need? What do they want? Marriott says, you know, the customers of the future, we lodge, Marriott, we give people food, we give people hotel rooms, guess what? the outside market, that's why beginning outside in is so critical, we're going to have older people. They're going to be in retirement centers. Somebody walked into the Marriott team and said to us to get into the older people business, retirement centers, this is what we need to do. And I hope in HR, our first comment when we're meeting in an investor day is not a data point about an HR program. But what is it we need to do to succeed in the marketplace? And then to show that a DEI or leadership or culture change or skilling or employee experience or work-life balance, these are the initiatives that we think, given the data, will have the biggest impact on those outcomes. And I love Diane's comment. This is, I call it, now is the time. I have in my office a picture of Martin Luther King. His famous speech in 1964 started with, now is the time. I think now is the time for HR. I've never seen in my career, and I'm older, I've never seen more attention to the HR agenda, not by HR people, but business people, and investors, and customers, and regulators. When there's variance, there's opportunity to improve. When there's no variance, you're not going to differentiate yourself. Everybody knows how to cook French fries in a hot, in a, in a, why did I do that? I guess I'm obsessed with food, but everybody knows how to do some stuff. When there's no variance, you're not going to differentiate. This is an incredible time for a company to vary. We looked at 2021 human capability around four dimensions, talent, organization, leadership. We scaled 7,000 companies. We have two years of data with 7,000 companies reporting. They're exactly the same. Companies are reporting the same ambiguous falderall because they don't know where to differentiate. I find that just fascinating that if you wanna to begin to differentiate your, not just your disclosures, but your actions, This is an incredible opportunity to do so. That data, by the way, is really telling. What companies reported round one is the same that they're reporting round two because they're not learning where to focus their attention.
0: We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career.
1: pick up on this point of, you know, now is is the time for for HR. And we've we've covered a lot. We've talked about some of these trends that have been around for a while that are, are kind of gaining more traction now, some new ones emerging as we go along. We've talked about this importance of really focusing on the strategy, on the business, on the customers, on how you win in the marketplace, all of these different areas. So you've got this kind of these broader themes that are emerging for probably everyone in HR but you mustn't just follow the trend you've got to think about what this means for your business for your company make sure you focus in on that way as well so diane how do we help the hr practitioners that are listening really think about tactically what can they do tomorrow to to rise to the challenge to really capture this moment for hr
2: well that's a simple question <laughs> Um, in, in two yeah, minutes,
1: that's fine. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, I mean, I think it. You know, the people, the people analytics function is going to be extremely helpful to understand much of what we've just talked about, right? Which is, what are the new requirements of work? And you talked earlier, uh, David, about how some companies, Microsoft in particular, comes to mind. I, I think also maybe Dropbox have identified core work hours, and other companies have identified what it means to have a focus time and to isolate focus time. These are things that we never even thought about in the industrial era. I mean, we were like five days a week, 40 hours, you know, and come to the office and we're done, right? But now we're having to get, and for good reason, having to get a lot more specific about, well, when we say work, what do we mean? And is there an optimal meeting time? And what should meetings be for? And how much how much focus time do people need? And how do we make sure that happens? So all of these things I think people analytic skills are really gonna or capabilities are really gonna help us with because like it or not, we have to redefine what the workplace is going to look like. Because of all the things we've just talked about, we have the data, we just need to figure out, you know, how to analyze it and and come up with some some good answers, but we need to have the right questions. So, you know, so it's really about outcomes and how do we organize work around outcomes and then assign people to projects inside of those outcomes. So those, I mean, those are all just top of mind thinking about what this new world of work is starting to shape into and we're seeing it
1: and so analytics is is clearly going to be incredibly important for the function moving forward david when you think about other skills that people need to kind of navigate this this paradox as uh, as dave said uh, what else do do hr professionals need to be thinking about
0: yeah it's interesting because in our annual research we did it insight 222 this year and we went to 184 organizations and one of the questions uh, that we asked is does your chief people officer, mandate people analytics as part of the core HR strategy, and ninety percent said yes. And then we asked, "Do you have a data-driven culture in HR?" And only forty-nine percent said yes. So there's clearly a, clearly a gap to close. And you know, I don't know. Dave's done some research in this area as well, and you know, with the HR capabilities assessment. But when we asked HR professionals themselves and HR leaders and business leaders, you know, we came back. with three kind of areas. One of them is very interesting, actually, because it kind of covers a lot of what we talked about on this in, in this podcast, rather, business acumen, you know, having better business acumen, be able to ask the right questions, to your point, Diane, so we can really drill down on what is the challenge that the business is trying to solve to deliver, you know, the right outcomes for the customer, perhaps. And then the other two are around being more data-driven and more experience-led, which I guess is more the personalization and HR professionals understanding how they can use technology to provide better experiences for Employees, so we're working. You know, as an example, we're working with one of a, a very large uh, global financial company at the moment, and we're helping to upskill over well, nearly a thousand HR professionals now on on topics like be able to do data analysis, not not you know not detailed data analysis, be able to interpret it, de- interpret data and do basic data analysis, storytelling stakeholder influencing so they can actually influence people in the business to 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 make decisions and and take actions on the, on the insides, but also you know linking what they're doing in hr to the business so as as to your point dave hr not being about hr but hr actually being about the business uh, and about customers and about stakeholders so so it's a very interesting time but we're talking about reskilling an organization you know and hr and learning functions are at the center of that so we don't need, as HR professionals, we don't only need to future-proof skills within the organization. We need to future-proof skills within
3: our own function as well. You know, when we did the, we've we've done research on skills of HR over eight rounds of data with 125,000 people, and it's not self-report. It's other people reporting the skills they see in the HR people, and then correlating those skills with the outcomes. So it's not I have a skill. It's did this skill lead to an outcome? The take in our last round during COVID was fascinating. We've always defined HR skills as as an adjective and a noun, strategic partner, credible activist, trusted advisor. There was always a noun and a moderator. Our model this year is verbs. And I think the issue is it doesn't matter where you work. And so we focus HR skills on advances the business. That's a verb, accelerates the business. Mobilizes information, what David just talked about. You've got to mobilize information, it's not just having access. In fact, in our previous data, we found that HR people with the ability to analyze data, analytic skills, had the least business impact. And it's because they were looking at HR data, not business data. So five sets of, of nouns, accelerate business, advance human capability, mobilize information, foster collaboration, and simplify complexity you won't remember those details. The detail is it's a verb, not a noun. It's not your role. It's what you do is an action within your role. And that's the stuff that we're finding um, really begins to show an impact on business results. I love that. And what I think
1: that's a great place to, to wrap up, but I want to thank you all for for taking the time today. This has been a, a great conversation for those listeners that have been listening in and want to, Follow your work, Dave or, or Diane. I mean, they, we already know how to get hold of you, David, so I won't come to you. But, but Diane, if you could go first and then Dave, it would be great if people could find out how could, they can find you on, on social media and follow any of your work.
2: I'm on LinkedIn.
3: LinkedIn is good. And, and for you, Dave? Same thing. I've written a lot of books. I decided two years ago that books take – David Green would know this well. They take a year to write, a year to get published, and six months to get out, and they're out of date. I've decided not to write a book, but I post on LinkedIn every Tuesday and I make a lot of comments. David, I love your post and Diane, I love your post and I love to engage. I think LinkedIn is a great global water cooler. I hope you'll follow me and I hope you'll make a comment and disagree with me. I've got some folks that are really good at disagreeing and and I've never looked. I've never looked at who the respondent is. It's what I loved about LinkedIn. It democratizes ideas. Well, there we go i encourage everyone to go and disagree
1: with dave immediately uh, on on linkedin
3: that's so good
1: <laughs> excellent well thank you all so much for being on the podcast today it's been an absolute
3: pleasure
0: thank you for tuning into this episode of the digital hr leaders podcast and a huge thank you to diane dave and ian i hope you enjoyed our conversation and are ready to take 2023 by the horns If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a five star rating on your favorite podcast platform so others can enjoy the show, too. And if you're looking to stay up to date on all the latest industry news and trends, sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. For now, have a great day and look forward to catching you next week when I'll be talking to Sue Cantrell and Michael Griffiths of Deloitte about how to build a skills-based organization. Until then, stay well, take care.